We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. That's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, like you said, they're pushed back and, and Joe Flacco like throws up this just absolute moon ball. It's January 2013. Ravens at Broncos. This is Remember That Game, the podcast about sporting events that take you on a journey and maybe chart the path of the zeitgeist. I'm your host, Thomas Emmerich, and my guest is Tim Miller, who's been on quite the journey since Elway helicoptered his way to the Broncos' first Lombardi, but who you may have recognized from the New York Times bestseller list, no big deal, The Bulwark, and their next level podcast, Not My Party, on YouTube and Snapchat, and on the MSNBC airwaves. Tim, are you ready to talk about your Broncos going from the hottest team in the league entering the postseason to what a stop on Joe Flacco's elite journey? <laughs> yeah, we picked we picked torment. I think it's right. If we're going to choose a game, you know, it, it's better to reflect back on torment. You know, that's that's where you learn life's lessons. Some catharsis, um, hopeful byproduct. The Ravens weren't some upstart out of nowhere team, but they didn't extend Flacco going into the year, and it didn't look entirely promising. Entered the playoffs grading as PFF's 24th-ranked quarterback, tied with Kevin Kolb. There's a throwback. Meanwhile, Denver enters the playoffs on an 11-game win streak and had just beaten the Chiefs 38-3. to Just now in 2023, trying to imagine the universe in which that could occur. Uh, I'm guessing this campaign got you dialed back in as a Broncos fan. Um, it did, yeah. So you know the Broncos. So I moved to Denver in the mid '90s as a as a kid and, and adopted the Broncos immediately. I'd moved from St. Louis. We didn't have a football team. There were no Rams at the time, and um, and so you know uh, I was obviously extremely uh, uh, you know dialed in to use your phrase on the Elway era Broncos that you know Terrell Davis era and uh you know kind of jumped into like an, a football team that was basically awesome from the from the moment that I that I moved there uh with you know Shanahan uh as the coach and then you hit the kind of mid-aughts and you know after Elway retires you have like a small era of like okay teams with Greasy and, and Jake Plummer and then, you know, you hit just a really ugly quarterback period. That's, I guess, not quite as ugly as the current Broncos quarterback period in the mid-aughts. And around that time, I went to school at, uh, at George Washington, D.C., but my best friend um, was from Baton Rouge. And um, 
And so I started going to LSU games every year starting in, in 2000. And, and like in adulthood, I don't know if you can appreciate this. You have a sports podcast, maybe not. You know, you sometimes have to start to balance, you know, where you're spending most of your attention. And I do have to admit that my Broncos, you know, um, uh, attention started to started to dwindle, you know, as I was spending more time watching SEC football on Saturdays. Um through the aughts but you know they get the manning trade which i had mixed feelings about which we can talk about and uh yeah at least uh it was something to be excited about which it had been a long time that the team had won one playoff game since elway retired before this season so that was a rather rather long time in the wilderness i mean they were okay and and you know made the playoffs a number of times they were those kind of aligned with the nuggets during this period they both were making the playoffs but, but they weren't actually doing anything Sometimes they'd make the playoffs and then they'd have to deal with Peyton and it would be over pretty quickly. Yeah, uh, right. You grew up, as you mentioned, yeah, in Denver in the 90s and worked on Bill Owen's successful gubernatorial campaign in 98. Yeah. The same calendar year, Denver finally got over the hump. How'd the rush compare between those campaigns with Owens <laughs> and then watching your 97 and 98 Broncos win it? And how much did the thrill of sports fandom catalyze your political interests? Yeah, man, the end of high school was good for me um, on that front. Uh, and, uh, I, you know, the Owens one was so cool. Um, it was my first campaign. And, you know, it was uh, uh, he's running against the incumbent lieutenant governor. And, um, you know, she was winning the whole night. Uh, and, uh, you know, something that, that Donald Trump had trouble understanding is that like votes continue to get counted, uh, as the night goes on, um, and from different er uh, places, but, uh, the, you know, there were a lot of nerves, um, at the headquarters and, and Owens ends up, um, you know, winning by a couple thousand votes, kind of a late, late surge, uh, where the numbers ended up looking, you know, a little bit better than, than they had expected. And, um, man, uh, you know, for a dorky, 17 year old or 16 year old however old i was um that was that was a real big rush you know being there um hanging out with the college interns and the and the young 20s interns sneaking drinks you know realizing i get to go hang out in the governor's mansion um all that stuff was pretty cool um the la thing was uh was also you know i, I think that you know was cool in its own right we had this peer camaraderie right I and mean, it happens at you know, kind of the perfect time when you're like a young sports fan um you know so 97 i'm 16 right so i can go drive you know over to my friend's house and like all of us can gather together to watch the super bowl which we did you know and 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 you know that is like this moment of independence moment of camaraderie we're all all rooting together um, so I, you know, they both were pretty cool and, and they, there definitely was this relationship. And I wrote about this in the book, um, that, you know, I, I, I liked politics. I liked government too, but, um, I, I really started to, you know, get attracted to the rush of it in the same way that a sports fan does, um, with their team. And, and I lo I loved for a while, you know, I've, I've grown up a little bit and matured and, and rethought, rethought the value of this, but, you know, the horse race politics is much maligned, but I love the horse race. Like I love the competition of it, the winning and losing, the strategizing, the, you know, picking good recruits and picking good, you know, candidates and primaries. And so there definitely was, I think, a relationship between that. And I think my formative experiences and, you know, with Owens and, and not just the Broncos, but other sports fandom, uh, you know, had a, had an impact on that. Yeah, and I, I was listening to your chat forum there with Dan Pfeiffer, and you mentioned your first bet, Clinton versus HW. You bet your grandma, <laughs> and you, you won on Clinton there. 
Um, did you get any bets down on this uh, Broncos team as a nine point dogs or nine point favorites versus uh, the Ravens at Mile High? Um, I I don't remember losing any bets on the Broncos there. I had a uh, I, that the Bill Clinton bet was the last. I, I rooted for a Democrat in 1992 when I bet my grandma and Bill Clinton. I got one dollar in the mail, and then I didn't root for another Democrat again until 2016 when his wife was running against Trump. So it was you know there's a nice bookend there. Um, you know, one time doing it for you know the, the competitive uh, you know spirit and the gambling addiction, and then the next time you know because I was worried that. Uh, the American experiment was going to come to an end. Um, and so, uh, I, you know, my, I was a very active sports gambler in college uh, and right out of college. Uh, and so we could have discussed some of my worst gambling beats. Um, and then, you know, uh, being an entry-level political staffer is not exactly the highest-paying gig in the world. And uh, I found myself early in my political career um, – you know, my game, let's just say that my gambling habits were, were having a, a detrimental impact on my quality of life for about a year or two um, in a way that was not healthy. And so I, I kind of stopped gambling for about a decade until, you know, I grew up and was able to, you know, now, now, I, now I like to dabble in, in DraftKings, you know, with some gentlemanly wagers that aren't going to impact whether or not I can pay the rent, you know? <laughs> yeah, there might be some relation. Yeah, I feel like I gamble more responsibly now than I did when I was a low-level uh, Pew nonprofit staffer in, in D.C. and feeling like, oh, I need to make some extra money. Uh, hopefully the Seahawks run at the goal line here and I can make a lot of money <laughs> instead of lose a lot. Um, yeah, so I don't, I don't think I, I don't think I lost any money on the Ravens. I did lose some money. I, I about re-engaged in gambling just in time for for Russell Wilson to schlong us in the Super oh. Bowl. Uh, I guess the next year, two years later. Basically, the 2013 team. That story sort of begins mid 2012. Start playing like the 2013 mid mid 2012, but early 2012, very much up in the air how this would go. Peyton Manning has spinal surgery, sits out a year, gets replaced by Andrew Luck then signs with the Broncos. Uh, do you have reservations about joining forces with him? Deep ones. Yeah, I was not that excited. Um, a lot of people in Denver got on the bandwagon really fast. It was a slower process for me. I never really liked Peyton when he, when he was at Tennessee for like no real reason. You know how sometimes you just have random people that you decide that you don't like um, as a you know middle school sports fan. Um, Peyton was that for me. I don't even really remember what the reason was, but I never, I didn't, didn't really like him. And then the Colts, as as you mentioned already, uh, yeah. beat us a couple of times um, with real him bad. there. Um, yeah, real bad. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for that. And so you know, I I never. I, I I wouldn't say it's like I hated Peyton, but I, I certainly did not did not care for him. And the, the Broncos pick him up. It's it's you know we're in the twilight of his career. Um, I had worries that what that when Peyton came, you know, we are going to get what we did end up getting ten years later in Russell Wilson. <laughs> um, you know, I I thought we might be getting a lemon um, in addition to the fact that I didn't like him that much. And so you know the season starts terrible, and he can't throw. He's got a noodle arm. And, um, you know, the spine surgery, I guess, is impacting his, his, his grasp, or I don't know what the right, right uh, technical uh, term is for that. But, um, yeah, I mean, uh, was, was not optimistic. I cannot say that I, that I, saw, this, that I saw the turnaround coming um, early in the year. 
Took a bit for Manning to find his bearings in Denver. Broncos started 1-2 and two as Manning led the league in turnover-worthy plays through three weeks per pro football focus. Three picks and a primetime loss to Atlanta. First meaningful action post-surgery, post-Indy abandonment, post-year outside the game. What was it like uh, in your experience finding your bearings post-2016 on the outside of the game looking in and perhaps needing to rediscover how you approach your passion oh this is interesting so the parallel here is between me leaving the republican party in politics to to peyton's one-year spinal surgery it definitely i don't know how much spinal surgery hurts but it, it, <laughs> it, it, it definitely there's definitely something there uh because i was i was in grave pain after 2016 um so i don't you know i do um i appreciate that comment i do um i'm trying to you know, I, I have a, um, I feel like an emotional connection with other people that at some point in middle age, uh, early middle age, I'm going to give myself early middle age, yes. you know, decided that they, that they needed to make a change in their life for the better um, and, and decided that, and, and overcome a little bit of maybe in my case, probably not, not as much Peyton's, um, you know, self-imposed uh, pro- uh, life problems. And, uh, and so, yeah, this is nice. Uh, uh, maybe that's, that's some way that, you know, cause despite even, you know, and we, we'll get into, you know, Peyton, you know, really overcoming it and, and proving me wrong. Um, when, when he eventually wins the Super Bowl, it just was never the same really for me. Like I, I never really did build the emotional connection with him, you know, though I was still rooting for the Broncos, um, you know, because he felt like an indie indie quarterback and he was later in his career. So maybe this is it. Maybe I've moved to New Orleans now. It's a Manning city. And, you know, we both over, overcame, you know, midlife challenges. That's pretty good. Maybe that's where I can I can finally belatedly find my Peyton Manning emotional connection. I find myself inspired, even though I, I've gone through anything like that, anything like relearning how to throw a football without feeling in your fingertips. Uh, the National Football League, and what new limitations that presents. New receivers, new offense, 11-game win streak heading the playoff. Baltimore team that is no, no, no pushover, even though they're big dogs. Coldest home playoff tilt in Broncos history at kickoff. So Peyton's got to have both gloves on for sure. Do you recall wondering how he would hold up in those conditions? Yeah, I mean, it's funny to think back that it ends up being such a high-scoring game. I do remember thinking that, you know, it was going to be a low scoring game. I, you know, the Broncos had been through this for a while. We had this good defense. And I always felt like during the Jake Plummer era, I was always a little higher on Jake Plummer than others, but um, uh, uh, that, you know, we would be in good shape, you know, as long as we're controlling, you know, controlling the game, like not having to be too far behind. You know, you don't want, you didn't want to rely on Jake Plummer, you know, having to air it out. Um, and, and I felt that way about this team, uh, you know, Peyton, obviously much, uh, you know, a much better player than, than Jake Plummer, but, you know, coming off the injury, you know, his arm strength, um, it was true in, in good weather, um, you know, uh, um, though, you know, th- there were, there were a few games during the year where they, they put up big points, but, um, you know, in this cold weather game in January in Denver, yeah, absolutely. I was, I was thinking that the best case scenario is that there is kind of, you know, the Peyton can kind of control the clock, a lot of short passes, the defense, you know, Von Miller, Champ Bailey, you know, hold up and that, you know, we can grind out a, a classic, you know, 20 to, you know, 20 to 10 win against the Ravens. Do get off to a great start by forcing a punt that Trenton Holiday takes to the house. Go Tigers. There we go. LSU there. 
Deion Sanders on the highlight package, then clowns Manning when they show him hopping around the sideline. Uh, I don't have to go out there and see Ray Lewis right now. Uh, would you like to see someday Dion help Peyton get the organization back on track as uh, Broncos head coach? Upgrade, upgrade Dion from CU to, to the Broncos. I, I love Dion. I, I wrote an article about him in a newsletter this week for the Bulwark. And um, I love what he's doing for CU. I don't really have any particular CU connection or affection, but I think it's great for the state. And uh, and um, he's doing a great job. I, you know, does this translate to the pros? And I think one of Dion's big competitive advantages in college is just on the recruitment side, right? And that for good reason, like kids want to play for Dion. I think not just because of his celebrity, but, you know, because of his leadership qualities. And so I, does that translate as much to the NFL? I don't know. But, but maybe Peyton comes, I, you know, Elway, transition from from quarterback and and star and you know franchise everything savior um franchise god king uh to to front office was disastrous um, to say the least um but there's something about peyton that makes me feel like he'd he'd be stronger in that role so i don't know maybe peyton could come back and help help right the ship but um uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I think that's, uh, that's a cool flashback that you had Dion on the highlights. I know. <laughs> We're turning holiday. The other thing about this highlight is what I had forgotten, I went back and watched the highlight package of the game, um, and and he, he had two returns. Yeah. I remember the initial return, uh, obviously, but then he has another one at the beginning of the second half that I, you know, that had been lost to my memory. Um, it's like, man... I, just losing a game where you have two special teams touchdowns yeah. against a team that you had beaten just a few weeks prior uh, in a home playoff game is, man. It's, anyway, we'll get into that. We'll get into that. That's another twinge of nostalgia. Nostalgia can also be pain, uh, extraordinary pain. J- Jacoby Jones fumbles the ensuing kick return. Uh, yeah. Also, uh, uh, some, some nostalgia for that name. Uh, handling one cold rock. Uh, he would get used to it, though, eventually. Uh, Broncos and Von Miller have Baltimore backed up down to their goal line, down seven. You know, Again, Broncos, the hottest team in football down the stretch. PFF actually ha- had graded out the Broncos as the top defense in the league that year, well-rounded team. Um, were you more confident in Denver beating Baltimore than Mitt Romney winning Ohio? <laughs> Uh, much more. Yeah, much more. I was the rain cloud on the Romney on, in 2012 on the Romney campaign. Um, I had a, a very, so this would have been what, two months prior to this, um, you know, Romney would have lost. And I was up in Boston uh, f- uh, on election night and, um, you know, kind of looking at the the data coming in. Um, and uh, it was much earlier than the first quarter of that, or <laughs> this equivalent time, I, I saw that, you know, the trends were, were going against us. And, um, and you know, in a in a in a strange kind of preview of where you end up going with with the Trump stop the steal stuff and the delusions, I was kind of surprised how many people around me did not feel that way. I don't know for folks that aren't political uh, obsessives. Carl Rove like goes on TV that night and it's like Mitt could still win. Mitt could still win. It's like Carl Rove who like should know. I mean, Carl Rove is at the top of its game. At, uh, and how, what how is it that I can look at the numbers and 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 see that this isn't going to happen? you know, and he feels differently. So I, that all of that confused me. I, re, I just remember um, uh, walking past uh, the Maggie Haberman as the a New York Times Trump reporter and like whispering in her, her ear that I was like, Obama's got this and like, uh, you know, headed to the bar. 
And, um, you know, I get to the bar and I'm like two drinks deep when my phone is blowing up and they're like, Grove is saying we can win. You have to come back. So, anyway, I was very, very bearish on, on Romney that night. Um, and I might have won a couple of bet, a couple of friendlies uh, on that uh, on that subject uh, with my fellow staffers. But um, I, I the Broncos, I thought, you know, I was feeling pretty good really throughout this throughout this game, uh, you know, about, um, you know, about all the way up until we get to Raheem Moore. Raheem Moore has a tough day. Um, Champ Bailey here. Also, I look PFF grades for the Broncos dating back to their beginning of their charting in 2006. And this is their worst charted game for him by mm. far due to Torrey Smith, mainly yeah. uh, burns him deep for the touchdown and ties it up at seven. Peyton then follows it with a pick six. Not as much velocity going over the middle, throwing a cold rock. It gives the defense time to adjust and pop that thing up. The rest of the game, he'd find his uh, success in touchdowns going outside the hashes. Uh, in this new act in your career over the past few years, has there been, and I heard you speak to Jen Saki, a great question about this transitioning into journalism. Um, yeah. Has there been any needing to reconcile what you would do instinctually than you had in your past uh, career? Um, yeah, you know, I, I think that you're all like, it, it's hard to, to rewire your brain. You know, I, I was a political strategist for a long time. And, and, and I, and I think that this is a critique a lot of people have of, of, of people in the commentary classes. Like, you know, you always go straight to the strategy thinking about it rather than, you know, um, thinking about kind of the merits of, of what's happening, right. And kind of separating yourself out from the, who's winning, who's losing and, and, and putting yourself into the place of like, you know, okay, what are the real world impacts of, of whatever's happening in, in the political space? So, you know, that's something that, um, that I did, that I had to change. And, you know, the champ, the champ thing is like, this is the end of the career of his career, basically. Right. Um, this game. So it's like, not surprising that that's, um, uh, his, uh, you know, his worst, his worst graded out game. Um, I mean, he, he comes back what one more year, I think. Um, and so because it's just worth mentioning that, uh, and I've had a, and I've had a lot of bad beats as long as we're forcing the political metaphors. So <laughs> I can relate, I can relate to champ on this, but man, that first story Smith touchdown. I mean, that's great. It's crazy. I mean, like you said, they're pushed back and, and Joe Flacco like throws up this just absolute moon ball to Tory Smith. Um, that, that definitely gives you some, some, a, a little bit of a preview of what's to come. The Broncos do rally back. Game ends up 38-35. Get to that. But Peyton Manning does find his bearings. He does adjust. And even though he's ending the odds, he brings his team into a great four-year stretch here, starting here in 2012. Do political parties and factions do as good of a job as sports teams at identifying when it helps their cause to join up with those who they've sparred with in, in the past? <laughs> no. Well, no. This is my probably my top complaint about um about the democrats right now i, I also and because i think mostly traditional political parties don't do this i, I think that ideologues uh, uh you know have a tough time you know reconciling you know welcoming people into the fold that they feel like have done things that are that they are morally opposed to in the past i, I recognize that instinct but that's been a benefit of trump right that he doesn't have any like really deeply held convictions or beliefs and has no reason to judge anybody for what they've done because uh, nobody's done as bad of things as him and so you know trump has this has this behavior where 
you know, if he's a Broncos fan and Peyton, Peyton comes to town to torture the metaphor, like he's like, great. You know, like, you know, if somebody, if anybody wants to come over, no matter how much Trump is hate, like me, as a the fact that I've been a never Trumper for eight years, if I went on MSNBC this afternoon and said, you know, I've seen the light and like the country could really use MAGA, you know, Donald Trump back and, uh, and, and, you know, sleepy Joe Biden, you know, can't lead this country. Uh, we need, we need a businessman. I, like, Trump would be send out one of his bleats over on Truth Social or whatever it's called, like immediately. I'm being like, you know, great Tim Miller, great Never Trumper. Well, you know what I mean? Like he like that is like his instinct is to just, you know, if you compliment him, then great. Like the past is the past. Um other the other political, you know, players have have a lot of trouble with that. And um, you know, I and I think that frankly, sports fans are are much more willing to to just put the past behind right and accept them you know you'll, you'll get your stuff you know there's a stu- there's stubborn people in every group but um yeah i mean i really think that in a lot of ways um now i, I don't use this as an excuse for other never trumpers because i think that there are a lot of people that you know donald trump in my opinion is so horrible that uh, like you know whether or not people are nice to you or not really should not um should not impact um your your uh, your analysis of, of whether or not he should be the president again. Uh, but I do think that there is a class of um, gettable voters for Democrats who, who feel unwelcome. Yeah. And it was uh, really fascinating to read in, in your book about the game and the folly of not having real red lines a, as you play it, but, and not to conflate the outcome of sports games and elections, sure. uh, uh, but are there lessons to be learned in the political discourse from the sports analytics movement if the analytics say to go for it and forth but john fox by mo wants to trust his defense to close it out hypothetically uh that can feel counterintuitive or uncomfortable and even offensive to go for uh trade-offs made in policy or coalition building to increase the chance of winning the next race that can ruffle feathers are there ways where it's beneficial to view winning elections through the kind of strategic lens for building a champion or winning a playoff game um, okay, well, I want to get to the analytics of sports, and, and I, w- I would like to hear. I'm hoping you've pulled the numbers for John Fox's fourth quarter uh, decision, uh, which we can which we can talk about. But uh, to answer your question about politics, I think like sports, you know, I, I absolutely that there are ways that it can be used, and absolutely there are times when um, you know you're missing the forest from the, for the trees. And and you know, here's for example, um, I, I think that. Um, just looking at it from a democratic cap on, you know, like the, the highest value above replacement, if you will, um, Democrat in, in politics is Joe Manchin. Um, like it's insane that the Democrats have a, 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 a Senator from West Virginia state Trump won by like 50 points. And so even if he, you know, opposes the party on various things, I can understand how that could be frustrating, but, um, but you know, his, the value to the agenda that Democrats want to push is so great that, that, you know, I, I think that the party would benefit from giving him a little bit of leash. And I think that the opposite is happening um, there. And I think that, you, and frankly, I think the best thing that Democrats could do is try to have 10 Joe Mansions, right? Like the more they, you know, targeted, you know, different types of candidates, heterodox types of candidates that might appeal in various, you know, places where, um, you know, the numbers, the numbers show, um, you know, that, that it's probably a Republican place, but, but there might be some softness. Um, you know, I'm thinking about places like Tennessee, Montana. Um, I, 
you know, I think that would help the Democrats long term. Uh, another just random stats thing I saw, I was joking with my husband about this. Um, you know, I, this, the stats movement has not moved at all down to lower offices yet. You know, for example, in New Orleans here, there's a state house district that's like in the New Orleans suburbs that Joe Biden won by nine points that the, that um, the the Democrats didn't even put up a candidate this time to run against the Republican state house member who's been there forever. And it's like, <laughs> and I was saying to my husband, I was like, maybe we should move out to the burbs and you can, you can run for state house out there. But, you know, it's like, I, I think that, you know, there are, there's, you know, low, lower level places where, where the math makes sense on the flip side, on the presidential level, like, you know, there is insane amount of obsession over analytics, right? There's this big Politico article recently about all of the, anal- the, the just deep detailed research that the DeSantis super PAC is using, you know, and they've, they've done all these studies to determine that text messages instead of phone calls, instead of mail, instead of TV ads, like if they do everything exactly right, they can improve his favorability 6%. And I'm like, six percent you know he's getting thrashed by donald trump like obsessing over the margins is not his problem here and and you know um thinking that like using ads to to move people two percent you know in a in a race where they have already have deeply held views about the candidates like the presidential level you know it's totally missing uh, um you know what actually needs to be done to win um so you know I, i think that it kind of depends on on the on the context We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And on the John Fox count, I, I would like to see some of the the modern like go for it bots. It'd be great if they were around back then. But based on what I've read, it seems a little gray area on the end of the fourth quarter punt. But it seems like the analytics as kind of understood and discussed based when I was reading back in 2013, uh, wanted him to go for it at the end of the first half when they packed it in, but had time to score. But at the end of the fourth quarter, uh, I'm, I'm more of a go for it. Uh, <laughs> Like Peyton, you have Peyton Manning, let him win the game. Uh, yeah, I mean, for context, 
Yeah, for kind of so the Broncos would have gotten about 36 seconds left at the end of the second quarter, tied 21-21, and then again at the end of the fourth quarter they they had a chance tie game and they would have got the ball with 31 seconds left i messaged my brother before i did this podcast and i was just like what do you remember most from that game anything stand out and this it was the fourth quarter decision that for him that stands out he's like you know in this day and age um i mean just think about the josh allen mahomes game right uh um right like the idea that you would kneel with 31 seconds like 31 seconds is a lifetime um and uh and and you know it's putting yourself in you know, a, a literal, you know, a coin flip situation in overtime where you're at the mercy of chance um, was extremely, extremely frustrating. I saw, yeah, I don't know what the numbers showed on that, but uh, it's it, in retrospect, that was, that, that's really something that sticks in the memory that you just kind of, you know, let that one go. I know you're dealing with Peyton's arm, but you know, he'd already, he'd, he he looked all right. I mean, he thrown a couple bad passes in the game, no doubt. But yeah. uh, um, but he'd also put up a ton of points. A few like interesting calls, flexion point, go for it decisions. They one at the end of the first half, and then two at the end of the game. Thirty-one seconds, two timeouts, thirty-five yards. Your Prater's range. He we're up mile high. I think he eventually hit like a sixty-four yarder the next year. So from the twenty. 35, 40 yards are definitely within his range. And you got 31 seconds, two timeouts. And then before, well, we'll get to the Jacoby Jones play, but they could have uh, gone for it. Uh, it would have had like a 26% chance of uh, Baltimore would have of, of tying it. I think I read in this article if they went for it and failed, but a 13% chance if they punted. But you have Peyton Manning and it's 0% chance if they pick it up. Uh, so... That's the breakdown there. It's hard to be too hard on Fox there, but I did want to r- run that uh, sports <laughs> analytics metaphor. Yeah. Broncos also had a 97.2% ESPN win probability in the final minutes. That's tough. Um, no and on the way there, though, you had some good performances from Peyton brought some guys over. I mean, that, that was probably another reason. Like Broncos were only 16 to 1's preseason Super Bowl favorites, same as the Ravens. Peyton brought over like Jacob Tammy and uh, like Brandon Stokely to go with. A couple of people who were unproven uh, playing with Tebow the year before, and 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 Eric Decker and Demarius Thomas. R.I.P. Pre Julius breakout. This is pre picking up Welker. Who were your favorite Broncos uh, back in those days? Um, I always had a soft spot for No. Sean, um, who is uh, who, who's the running back at the time. I mean, D.T. Demarius Thomas ends up being a you know just all time Bronco, and uh, you know he, he's kind of tragically died young. Um, obviously. You know, you're you're in the Von Miller, um, uh, Von Miller era. Uh, I'm trying to think. Chris Harris, lockdown corner, um, really liked, uh, really liked on that team. On the Ravens side, I mean, they got some physical vets there. You got Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, Bernard Pollard, Haloti Nada. You got a punishing run game. Matt Burke and Marshall Yonda just kind of road grading and then Colloquio Semelude. Were you worried the Broncos might be too finesse in these conditions against this kind of opponent? Again, I mean, no. I, the Broncos had beaten the Ravens just a couple weeks prior. Yeah. Um, you know, I, sure, you're worried about um, a little bit about uh, Peyton in, in this weather, uh, but, you know, you're going up against not yet elite Joe Flacco. Um, <laughs> you know, I wasn't that concerned about Joe Flacco, you know, figuring that we'd um, be able to get a, get a couple of, 
get a couple of turnovers there. So I, you know, it's hard to like really put yourself mentally in the place from 10 years ago, but I, but my, my recollection is being very excited about the game, feeling like we were going to win. Um, I had a couple buddies coming over. We were going to go out afterwards. Um, and, uh, and, and I, and I felt that way throughout, throughout the game, you know, up until, up until the, you know, whatever final minutes. It's a 35, 28 Broncos up. Flacco is showing off elite arm strength, hitting Torrey Smith in the, on the deep ball. Anquan Bolden, Dennis Pitta uh, winning through contact. Pitta and Jacob Tammy are actually both have pretty good games. He's like underrated tight ends of, of the, the early teens, late aughts. Peyton hits Demarius Thomas on a, a tunnel screen to go up 35, 28. Uh, they force a turnover on downs from the, the Ravens. And then they get to a situation under the two-minute warning convert you and the game they run three times and punt Jacoby Jones gets behind the defense it's also just just really quick now that you mentioned that um uh again that very cautious you know mindset uh is is something that that was a critique of Fox throughout his time in in, in Denver and I, I'm, I'm sure at his other stops um but you know, it's so it's you have the two kneels, and then you have like you're saying here, you just need one first down here. You know, I, I get it. Like, right, you do a play action, and he throws an incomplete pass, and and that gives the Ravens a little more time. On the other hand, you, you can end the game, right? And so I, I think that that paired together the knee at the end of the fourth quarter, and you know the the very conservative play there. In the, in the final couple minutes um, adds to the John Fox agita um, in, in Broncos nation. Yeah. yeah. And Hey, again, you said they're the best defense. I, I don't, I, that wasn't like the, the premier Broncos defense of that era, um, but it's really good defense. And um, you know, you get that, but again, it's a 30, what is it? It's games 28 at that point. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, Flacco had landed some bombs, right? So it's not as if, you know, it's you know maybe that's again a more reasonable argument if it's if the game is fourteen to ten, right? But it's twenty eight twenty eight or thirty five twenty eight or whatever it is at that time. Raheem Moore, who's I think maybe might have graded out as the best young safety in the league that season, kind of similar like with a Marcus Williams and the and the Saints, Stefan Diggs, uh, catch and run. You have one of the best young safeties in the league, but it's a young safety in a big situation. Dion on the highlights, you're saying, hey, he's, he's backpedaling too long. Got to open your hips a little earlier here. And underestimated that Joe Flacco could, I don't know, put that ball. like It felt like 80 yards in the air by fourth quarter. I think it was like six degrees. Like truly an incredible throw. I mean, he must have just been in disbelief it could get that far. But you got overtime. Are you resigned at this point or more in disbelief that Baltimore can pull this off in OT? Yeah, I'm, th- I'm like wanting to throw up. Um, I, I don't, I don't recall being resigned. Um, uh, I, you know, felt like, um, you know, I, I do remember, um, so like I had, I was watching the game and then I had a couple of, you know, friends I was watching with and then we were going to go out after. So I had some non-football friends that kind of came by and, you know, who were like a little bit antsy. You know, and I'm, I'm feeling good. They're like they're ready to go out, and um, you know they they hit that and go to overtime. And so I, I just remember an emotional crushing weight of of 
uh, of seeing that, of, of watching that. But no, I, I mean, again, I, like the Broncos felt that they had won so many games in a row. And, you know, there's a lot of reason to think that, um, you know, they could come back. I guess what Ravens get the ball first and then the Broncos get the ball. So I, I do remember that being concerning. But then when the Ravens don't score, um, you know, once again, you just have to, all you need is a Prater field goal. Yeah, a lot of punts in this overtime. It pushes nearly to the end, uh, first overtime period, when uh, Peyton drifts to his right, uh, starting to have maybe flashbacks of Brett Favre against the Saints a little bit. Don't do it. And throws back inside, picked off. Justin Tucker is pure. And unbelievable that it's still Justin Tucker. I was watching because uh, I, I couldn't. I couldn't quite remember because Justin Tucker wasn't Justin Tucker yet. And so when I was watching the highlights. And I remember, obviously, I remember that Peyton threw the terrible interception at, at midfield, um, and and that the Ravens end up kicking a long field goal to win. But I was like, as I was watching the highlights, I was like, I wonder if it's going to be Justin Tucker or was it someone before him? Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, no, wasn't even no doubt, no doubt about it. Tucker, so of course it's through. Um, how do you go about coping in the aftermath? We're Drinking. cruising in the early Saturday evening here. Are we in DC or? We're- yeah, yeah, we're in DC. I had a new condo that we moved into um, during the Romney campaign in that summer, and so I was excited to have people over. Um, and uh, and that condo, in, in retrospect, ends up being a curse. Um, I, I remember uh, watching the Seahawks Super Bowl there with my with my with my buddy who's a Seahawks fan. Um, and, uh, and, and watching this game here with a couple of folks and, uh, um, I, I'm trying to remember good wins that I saw in that condo. I don't know. Maybe that may Romney loses the two Broncos losses. Maybe that, maybe that condo had some bad juju, but, uh, yeah, you know, we were living in Shaw then. Um, I, I have a distinct memory of like walking up to, um, to Bloomingdale. It's a great restaurant. I don't know if it's still there called Boundary Stone. We liked, um, but, uh, I started drinking whiskey pretty heavily and, um, I, you know, the, my, my, my coping, my coping memories, my coping memories end after that. So I, I can't, I can't tell you where it goes. I, and you start to think about, um, you know, like if, if the, you know, where, where the Broncos are going next. I, I, I don't think that there was a lot of, a lot of hope in nuggets land at that time. So I don't know. I don't know where my, where my, uh, energies turned. Not to say my experience is the same as yours, but I did lose a large sum of money and start wandering around Chinatown and, and don't remember what happened. Um, I don't know if I in was my defense. Drunk. In my defense, this was ten years ago. I don't know if I like literally blacked out that I don't remember. It's just you know I had a lot of nights in Bloomingdale. I can't I can't lie in the early 2010s, so they do start to blend together. I don't remember where I was. I just remember being shot by the Broncos and then watching the Packers, who I chased with, uh, just get run off the field by the Niners. So I don't remember where I was, but I just remember what I was seeing. <laughs> yeah, I always it always is. A, I need a round checkout because I went back to look and I was like, so who did the who are we going to play against? And obviously it was the Pats, um, but I, I have no recollection of the Ravens Pats. You know, I take losses like this, like it takes about a week of recoup for me. So I, I my guess is I didn't even watch that Ravens Pats game because I have no I have no recall of it. I of course remember Flacco's Super Bowl victory. Uh and that didn't you know, you'd think maybe that would have softened the blow, but not really for me. Uh, and after a crushing playoff loss, uh you know, you have a commiseration of fans across the political spectrum under one fan base. Uh, if the Broncos ever get in the position to have one of those again, uh, crushing playoff loss, 
their fans essentially ally with others in a political sense and be against Ravens fans who might have the same, you know, we'll call it policy prescriptions as a massive umbrella term. Uh, but now more than ever, does sports fandom create the kind of rare, relatively depolarized environment where people from different silos can get together and realize we're all humans. Hey, whether we like it or not, we're all stuck on the same boat. Kind of. And I, I think that's, I worry a little bit about how about the fact that we're losing that. I mean, the reaction to that Kelsey Taylor Swift stuff and MAGA world was very strange. I mean, I, you don't have to like Taylor Swift or the Kelsey, and you certainly don't have to like the Chiefs. I know I don't. Uh, but like the, the personal element of the, you know, the criticisms, the sexist comments, you know, I think, I think I mentioned to you this on, on Gmail or on, uh, on, uh, on our uh, DMs rather. Um, you know, I went to that LSU Clemson national championship game at the Superdome um, where, where Trump shows up. And I got to tell you, that was not a unifying moment in our section, at least. Um, I was like, we were sitting by some of the players' families. Uh, we were yeah. sitting by some very MAGA folks. My crew was very non-MAGA. There's booing, there's cheering. There was a very, you know, it got heated um, in, in, in the section for a little bit. I was a little bit concerned that, uh, that, that there was going to be, you know, some, some punches thrown before even kickoff had happened. So, I, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that there are some nice uh, parts about, you know, about how sports can unify people across party lines um, in a lot of places, a lot of cities. But I, I increasingly, like, we're polarizing ourselves and, you know, um, uh, in the types of sports that we watch and in, in the places that we live, right? I mean, uh, it's more unifying really when cities are more diverse. A lot of times people are, you know, folks that are, tend to be more conservative are moving to Florida, moving to more ex-urban areas and, and, and the inverse, right? So um, I, I think it could be that. And I like that about sports that it can be, it can be unifying, uh, but um, that I, I don't know that I can be totally um, Pollyanna about it. Was there eventually closure in that Super Bowl win in February 2016? And what's it been like watching the Broncos uh, sort of grasp in the dark for the Peyton Manning experience uh, since then? Yeah, Super Bowl win was nice, um, no doubt. I was, uh, I was working for Jeb at the time, um, so it was about three months before I left the party. So I guess all of my Super Bowl wins for Broncos would have been during my Republican era. Um, and uh, we're in New Hampshire. Uh, and uh, my uh, uh, my boss in the campaign is also a Broncos fan, David Kochel. Um, shout out, Dave. Um, and uh, and you know we had a really um, glorious kind of evening, uh, kind of celebrating in New Hampshire before we got the disappointing political uh, political news uh, in New Hampshire. Uh, so that was fun. that was a fun run because we also beat. Um, the Patriots during that time. And uh, so we were campaigning a lot in New Hampshire. So there was a lot of trash talking uh, that was happening um, on, on my, on my side. So it was good. Like I said, that, that victory, um, you know, being there with, with, with David was, was nice. And, and, you know, sports also, I think are about the personal connections you have and the communal elements of that. Uh, and so that, that element was really good for me. It was not, you know, like I said, it wasn't the same as the two LY Super Bowls, just as far as, pure joy was concerned um purity was concerned but um uh you know it felt nice i it was it, it was really more less of of payback for or not payback but you know less about um you know uh, the the ravens loss 
you know, and more about recompense after that just brutal Seahawks Super Bowl, um, just thrashing. Uh, as far as what's happening now, man, uh, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm I'm on the under this year. On I was on the under on the Broncos wins at eight and a half, and then I went in again on the under on the Broncos wins at six and a half. I'm betting against them every week, so this is how I'm staying with the Broncos. I think this is a great quarterback draft. Uh, Caleb Williams is awesome. Michael Penix in Washington is awesome. Maybe even Shadur. Who knows what's happening in Boulder? Um, uh, uh, I'm, I'm forgetting. There's a couple other good quarterbacks. Uh, North Carolina guy, Washington State guy, Drake May. Um, so, like I, the the Russ experience needs to just end. It's 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 brutal, and it's going to be a long time out of the wilderness. They don't have a lot of assets. This is not a team that has managed um, the the roster well at all. So even if they did tank it out and get Caleb Williams, and and even if they did trade. You know, a couple of the guys on this team, Simmons, you know, it's uh, Judy, you know, who have value for picks. It's still going to be a long way back, man. This has been another episode of Remember That Game. Please rate, review, subscribe, and check out more episodes. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com